welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Good morning, David. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Well, pretty good. Today's topic uh, we talked a little earlier is is a topic that I know is really at the heart of uh, what you've been talking about now for many years, and, and it's called anxiety is a symptom, not a diagnosis. And I think for a lot of members of our audience, you know, anxiety is this psychological descriptor, you know, that we've heard a lot about over the years. Uh, but but you're really getting at something deeper uh, with this whole concept. And I was wondering if you could explain that for the audience. Well, that's why I liked it today to do this podcast by myself, because you know, I think for me about three months ago, <clears throat> it all of a sudden came together really, really clearly. About six years ago, I started with this concept, I'm going to waste again, anxiety. I went from being a fearless spine surgeon to having crippling anxiety in one day. And that makes no sense, right? And so I never figured out what happened for many, many years. And I treat it psychologically. I, you know, I think all of us identify with our anxiety as part of who we are. We tend to treat it psychologically. And what I, I came out of this by accident in 2003. The last seven years of my anxiety journey was with a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder, which is, is the ultimate anxiety disorder. You have multiple intrusive thoughts. I had what's called a um, internal OCD, which means you have thought, counter thought, thought, counter thought. I didn't have the external manifestations of it. The research shows that 85% of people have these intrusive thoughts and they're around dirt, sex, violence, and religion. And the harder you fight these things, the worse that they get. What I found out is I was actually in therapy, psychotherapy for 13 solid years, once or twice a week. That's a lot of psychotherapy. What I didn't realize that the more I talked about these issues and thoughts and trying to analyze them, I was actually reinforcing them because your brain's going to develop wherever you place its attention. Anyway, I used to talk about anxiety being part of the problem as a cause, not an effect. And I started slowly as I looked at the neurochemistry of pain in general, I realized that anxiety was the result of input, not the cause. And then it just all of a sudden clicked really hard about eight weeks ago or 10 weeks ago that you have a physical threat or a mental threat. Let's talk about a physical threat first. Every living creature has some way of surviving based on the sensory input. So this visual or temperature, whatever, if there's a threat, every living creature will take evasive action to solve the problem which means you're threatened, provides a chemical response, and increases your chances of survival. The species who survived, by the way, are the most anxious. In other words, they, they, the, the species that didn't pay attention to their environmental cues didn't survive. And so then your body has stress chemicals, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, histamines, and different stress chemicals, which increases your chance of survival. Once you solve the problem, stress chemicals drop down, and, and you're, you're fine. But it, it hit me that the sensation generated by these stress chemicals you would call anxiety. So just a description of your body's chemical state. 
humans have a problem compared to the other creatures in that we have language. We can put a word on that set of chemical changes where other creatures can't do that. We call it anxiety. And it's really just a feeling generated by this massive neurochemical response is part of the unconscious automatic survival mechanism. The unconscious brain processes 11 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. If you're going to try to solve this massive neurochemical response rationally with consciousness, you're in trouble. Humans have the additional problem I call the curse of consciousness is that thoughts have been shown in neuroscience the last five years to go to a similar part of the brain. You have the same chemical response, but humans can't escape their thoughts. You can suffer with them, suppress them, or mask them. Every human being has anxiety as a survival mechanism. Every human being is exposed to consciousness. And my what happened to me why I went from this fearless surgeon to crippling anxiety one day is that I was a master of suppressing anxiety. I honestly didn't even know what the word meant. And my mechanism of dealing with anxiety was bring it on. I mean, I honestly was fearless. I suppressed it at a level you can't imagine. I went to a high-level spine training program. And my thing was bring it on. And what happened now is so good at suppressing stress that the amount of stress on my table was unbelievable. What I could do on a given day was unbelievable. And that was my badge of honor. It was just taking on an unlimited amount of stress, bring it on. I was tough. I had a nickname back then called the brick, which I thought was a compliment, but really not a compliment at all. And all of a sudden, when it exploded, I went from nothing anxiety-wise to panic attacks. And for the next 13 years, it got worse and worse and worse. The last seven of those years, last seven of those years uh, is when the obsessive compulsive disorder really came into full bore. And I was absolutely miserable. So what happened, I was having these incredible, endless, repetitive, intrusive thoughts that became worse and worse and worse with repetition, just a programming issue. The more I talked about them, the worse they became. So I finally realized that all anxiety is, is just a measure of the levels of your stress chemicals. Just like when you're lying on the beach, you're relaxing, warm sun on vacation, your body's full of oxytocin, the love drug, serotonin, antidepressant, dopamine, the reward drugs, the GABA chemicals, which are similar to Valium, the anti-anxiety chemicals. So when your body's full of those play chemicals, you feel great, so you feel relaxed. But you wouldn't call relaxed a diagnosis, correct? Right. So the same thing when your body's full of stress chemicals, you wouldn't call anxiety a diagnosis either. It's just a description of your body's chemicals. So my question is, when you are um, full of anxiety, remember the unconscious brain is much more powerful than the rational brain. The more, the more you try to fight these things, the worse it's going to get. So my question to you is, and nobody gets this right, by the way. I'm just going to ask it rhetorically. So just visualize a thermometer on the wall, a big thermometer, and you're feeling anxious. Just visualize the thermometer going up. There's a word play of being alert, nervous, anxious, afraid, panicked, paranoid, and terrorized, right? There's a whole word play on the levels of anxiety. And right. so let's say you're feeling afraid. So your stress chemicals are halfway up the thermometer. It's an unconscious survival response that you can't control. So how do you decrease anxiety? 
Well, I think, you know, uh, most people, you know, that I've, that I've known that have gone through those levels generally do sort of what you described doing, trying to suppress it or mask it with medication or, you know, one of those other strategies that, that uh, ultimately doesn't work. Right. So, so what do you do? I mean, there, there is an effective way of doing this, but what do you do? Well, I, 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 okay, I'm just going to give you a hard time. I know you want to give a hard time. Um, so what do you do? You're, you're stressed. Okay. So instead of using the word anxiety, just use the word elevated levels of stress chemicals. So you have elevated levels of stress chemicals. You feel anxious. How do you decrease your anxiety? Well, so in that case, you want to bring the, the level of those chemicals down and you need some some strategy, some strategy to help lower those levels, and that may mean if if your if you re, if you if your brain has been wired to produce them by the thoughts you're having, you have to you know you have to engage in a different kind of behavior or something that will actually bring those levels down. Would be my guess. <laughs> so so you did answer the question correctly, because everybody starts saying, well, let's do mindfulness meditation, relaxation, et cetera, which are ways of dealing with anxiety. But the bottom line is the way you decrease anxiety is you decrease the stress chemicals. And you can't do it with rational means because you're looking at 11 million bits of information per second versus 40. The unconscious brain is this massively huge process. And there's two ways of doing that. And they're both important. One is just directly doing it. Like for instance, I've talked about active meditation or meditation, exercise, visualization, when you feel anxious, you just simply drop down the stress chemicals by just changing sensory input. So right now, just feel the chair you're sitting on. I call it active meditation. Many of my listeners already know what that means. And you just you know, drop your shoulders. We actually do this during surgery, by the way. We just go to light touch if we're a little bit anxious. And we call it mindfulness-based surgery with really a dramatic decrease of complications. But what you do, you're just changing your sensory input from racing thoughts to a different sensation. And so just drop your shoulders for a second, feel where you're sitting, that's it. And I like active meditation because I can't meditate. I, you know, I, as you know me, I can't really sit still long enough to meditate. And it's an effective tool, but meditation is a tough place to start for most people. So anyway, there's direct ways to decrease your body stress chemicals. And so when you drop your shoulders and relax, you're giving your brain sensory feedback that's relaxing. Which also switching sensory input from racing thoughts to a different sensation. But anyway, that's one way of actually directly decreasing anxiety in the moment. The other part, which is probably more important, is that you're decreasing the reactivity of your nervous system. In other words, instead of having stress automatic survival response, which is going to happen, by the way. In other words, the worst thing you can do, and what happens to a lot of us, is that you suppress anxiety, and it works for a while. But the problem is your body doesn't realize that. So if you don't feel anxiety, you're going to feel some physical symptoms. The problem, and we'll talk about this in the next podcast that I do, is that when you're supposed to sustain levels of stress chemicals, each organ system responds in its own way. There's over 30 symptoms generated by sustained levels of stress chemicals, including death. People die seven years earlier in chronic stress. Um, autoimmune disorders have now been linked to chronic stress. Well, why does that happen? Because you have sustained exposure to these high levels of stress chemicals. That's a problem. 
I mean, autoimmune disorders don't just happen. They have to happen for a reason. But anyway, it's based on the body's chemistry. But anyway, the, the um, other way you decrease anxiety or decrease the stress chemicals, again, visualize this big thermometer on the wall. And one thing that does for you is it simply separates you from that reaction. Instead of identifying with anxiety as being part of who you are, you realize this is part of how I survive is anxiety. You don't want to get rid of it. You can't control it. You wouldn't survive without it. If you weren't anxious about food or water or protecting yourself, you simply wouldn't survive. What the visualization does is separates you from that reaction. That's number one. <clears throat> Second of all, instead of being stress automatic survival response, it's stress, a little bit of a space, and then you substitute responses. So the response is still there, but you start substituting and putting in a more rational response. And as you do this with repetition, you actually change your brain. Your brain changes every second. It's called neuroplasticity. What you're doing with this process is you're stimulating your brain to change a different direction through neuroplasticity. What you're doing, you're dampening the response. And for instance, we've talked about forgiveness a lot. If you want to remain, or if you want to hold on to something in the past, remain angry about it, guess what? Your body gets to stay with high levels of stress chemicals. So the question I ask myself and also ask my patients is, how long do you want to suffer? How long do you want to hold on to this thing in the past is keeping your body's stress chemicals elevated? Because you have a choice. A lot of people don't want to make that choice. They like the sort of like the power of anger. It's a bit of a problem. That's a different discussion. But in general, you have a choice of tempering the response that actually changes the structure of your brain. We actually know in chronic pain, the brain physically shrinks in chronic pain. You can't think as clearly. You're not using as much of your brain. Creativity drops down. When you treat chronic pain successfully, your brain re-expands. But you're now using more of your brain, creativity comes back, et cetera. The other problem is that adrenaline, one of the stress chemical chemicals, actually shuts down the blood supply to your brain, to the frontal lobe of the brain, because it's about survival. And it's not about being creative, it's about surviving. One of the problems, I think, the reason why the brain shrinks, you're first of all using less of it. But second of all, you're actually decreasing the blood supply to the frontal lobe of the brain. You don't think it's clearly and cognition actually drops in the presence of chronic pain. But again, it's a survival response. As you start learning that survival response, there's three steps to doing that. It's awareness, separation, reprogramming. That's how neuroplasticity works. The tricky part of the problem is that in order to change direction of your response, you have to be aware of what is. So what I did, I didn't like feeling anxiety, so I just suppressed it. The tricky part is you have to allow yourself to feel anxious. So you get to feel anxious, you create that space, then you redirect. As you know on the website, stage one is about expressive writing, which creates an awareness of the thoughts. You've now separated from the thoughts because the thoughts are on a piece of paper on the table. And you're here, you get a little bit of a space there. So you have awareness and separation of one mood. We call it expressive writing. Then it's really key to actually tear up the piece of paper immediately, shred it, burn it. People do all sorts of stuff with it. But you're doing it for two reasons. You're not tearing it up to get rid of these thoughts because there are trillions of thoughts in your brain. You're simply, it's a metaphor for separating. So you can't control your thoughts, but you can separate from them. So you have awareness, separation, one move. And then you can do the active meditation. Again, just drop your shoulders for a second. You feel where you're sitting. And what you've done, you redirected your brain a different direction. So it's trying to fix and solve these racing thoughts. You simply now switch direction. But you have to allow yourself to feel the emotion. 
that's the tricky part because a lot of people just don't want to feel anxious. Because remember, anxiety means feeling vulnerable. The other problem with anxiety is that it, that it is intended to be so unpleasant as to compel you to take action, right? It's a survival sensation and it's very unpleasant. With my journey through chronic pain, by far and away, the worst part of it was the relentless anxiety. It was unbelievable. Any thoughts on that, Tom? Just some feedback? Well, I, I, it, it definitely resonates. And I, I think one thing that uh, people might, might ask the question, how do you, you know, this, this idea of uh, experiencing the emotion, allow, allowing yourself to experience the emotion that you're, you're kind of have been afraid of or that you wanted to suppress. Right. Um, is, is, is that ability to uh, experience the emotion without reacting to it, in other words, without being driven by it. Right. Is that part of, is that what the act of meditation is that part of what it does? It redirects you, but it allows you to to experience the emotion without being driven by the emotion. Well, there's one book that I use on the website. It's called The Way to Love by Anthony DeMello. He's a Jesuit priest, but the book's not really a religious book. It's a brilliant book about awareness. And the key issue is to solve any problem in life, you have to be, become aware of the nature of the problem. You can't really solve anxiety until you are aware of the actual sensation. You have to be aware of the effect that it's having on your life. His solution, by the way, is just awareness, which is interesting. I actually happen to agree with it. I mean, it's one of the different phases of, of dealing with this. You become, okay, I'm anxious. And I literally visualize the thermometer on the wall. Okay, I'm halfway up, maybe I'm way really anxious, et cetera. And then what I've done, I've developed an anxiety, awareness of my anxiety and lots of different situations. And as you know, I'm a pretty extroverted guy, right? Right. Right. But through this awareness, which has been rather humbling, I've also found out that from my background, which is a really rough background, and I don't want to sound like a victim here, but I have a bit of social anxiety. It's not subtle. So if I'm in a social situation, I now allow myself to feel it. It's still there. hasn't gone away. But it's, it starts to lose its energy by understanding that it's there. So instead of maybe trying to cover it up by talking too much, which you know I can talk a lot, um, it's something where I can just be with that sensation, not fight it. And what you're doing is you quit fighting it, it starts losing its energy. One of the metaphors I like using for neuroplasticity is learning a new language. And I've said this multiple times in my book and my website. But it's a metaphor that hit me about six months ago is that if you're gonna learn Russian, for instance, you're going to go to Russia, you're going to learn the language, learn, learn the new alphabet, which is a tough deal. But let's say five years from now, you actually mastered Russian. People do do that. I don't see how they do that, but nonetheless, they do it. But let's say you can now speak fluent Russian. What happened to your brain? Something changed, right? And what happens is that something changed. So you have new cells, new connections, new myelin, new glial cells, whatever. You see, your brain has now changed structure, just like learning to be a concert pianist, your brain actually changed. It's not muscle memory, it's neurological memory, right? But you didn't learn Russian by trying not to speak English. Just by not speaking English, Russian didn't come into your presence. So you have to understand right. what your goal is, where do you want to develop, where do you want your brain to go? That's neuroplasticity. In chronic pain, 
what we tend to do, we don't like our pain, we don't like our anxiety, so we try to fix it. But where's your attention? Well, in chronic pain, your attention would be constantly on your pain and on those negative you know, feelings that come with it. Right, so how's it gonna solve the problem? You're gonna reinforce it, right? So if you think in terms of neuroplasticity, instead of psychology, what you're trying to do is actually what I call a new, an enjoyable life. You're actually going to learn a new language called an enjoyable life. And the enjoyable life is good food, good wine, good friends, whatever you want your life to look like, create your vision and start pursuing it in a methodical manner. One of the concepts we put on the website is getting organized to actually execute that vision. But if you're trying to fix your pain, your attention's on the pain, I've told my patients for years, you must put your hand right in the middle of a hornet's nest because you're, you have all these crazy reactive patterns, anxiety, frustration, and keep talking about it. There's some concept that the more you know about your past, the more you analyze it, the more you try to fix it, the time it's gonna solve it. I did that for 13 solid years. I was in psychotherapy. And I'm not against psychology, by the way. I mean, it definitely has a role of support, wisdom, and guidance, but you can't fix something by putting attention on the problem. It's like you have to go to the solution. So the solution is an enjoyable life. So you're not going to learn Russian by trying to fix your English, correct? You're right. not going to develop this life that you want by trying to fix your chronic pain. And again, this is a default language. It's a massive survival response. The default language is survival, which is adrenaline, cortisol, and other stress chemicals. Remember again, when you're full of the stress chemicals, you feel what? Well, you just you feel anxious. <laughs> so anxiety is just a descriptive term. It is not a psychological diagnosis. It is not a disease. And right now, medicine's missed it. I mean, as you know, that the prognosis for anxiety disorders, and especially OCD, is a horrible prognosis. People learn to live with it. They learn to manage it. I tried everything. There's a little, you put a rubber band on your wrist and you snap it when you have a bad thought. <clears throat> you try distractions. You try medication. I mean, I tried everything. And these repetitive intrusive thoughts are beyond words, just horrible. When I talk to my patients about surgery, I say, look, I can get rid of your leg pain or your arm pain with surgery. There's a lot of people have surgical lesions. Or, um, and you have to live with the anxiety you've had your entire life. It's going to get worse with repetition and time. Or we could solve your anxiety, or you can solve your anxiety, and you have to live with the pain. What do you want to choose? Most patients choose that they cannot live with the anxiety. So the real problem is the anxiety is the problem. Again, remember, it's just the elevated body chemistry, which, by the way, doubles the nerve connection. As they calm down the nervous system, drop down the stress chemicals, the nerve conduction slows down, pain threshold changes, and the pain goes away. We have over 100 patients with surgical lesions on the schedule, ready to go. As their nervous systems calm down, they cancel their surgeries. That's why my surgical conversion rate dropped to 4.5% at the end of my career. I actually literally put myself out of business. It didn't really matter where the pain started, it was that reaction to the pain that was the problem. Again, stress isn't the problem, as that chemical reaction into stress. By the way, I'd like to talk about this on another podcast, but you know, people talk about you know, stress management as one of the tools of having a better life, right? Right. Okay, but think about this. The stress that's really stressful is the stress that you can't control, right? Yeah, because it, it, it actually just ratchets up that whole anxious yeah. feeling. So one strategy people do to, to deal with stress is that they start avoiding stress. And what happens is that 
their life gets a lot smaller and, and not being critical of that. I mean, I talked to somebody a couple days ago where they just sort of pulled out of society, became somewhat of a hermit and it works. It does work. But I also went through a phase myself when I was going through my extreme anxiety, where I was by myself a lot. My life got very small and my anxiety was down. But I, and again, that's a reasonable choice. I'm not saying people shouldn't do that and people do anything to avoid anxiety. Because remember, it's a survival sensation that's so unpleasant that it compels you to take action. So again, stress isn't the problem, it's a chemical reaction to stress. So if you want to avoid stress, that's fine. Your life does get a lot smaller and you do have less chemical reactions because you're not exposed to the same amount of stress. But you also, what's happening with me personally, and again, I'm not saying you have to do this either, but I probably have five times the stress on my plate that I had 20 years ago when I broke. I mean, you know how hard I work. Right. And so it's just way, it's, but I'm not taking down my, these stress chemicals all the time. People have chronic fatigue syndrome. Well, guess what? If your body's on hyperdrive all the time, the adrenaline cores and all these stress chemicals, of course you're gonna be tired. You're gonna be worn out because your body, you're, it's like driving a car down the freeway in second or third gear, the engine's racing, of course it's gonna break down. So I understand, and I did this myself, where I really became somewhat, somewhat of a recluse for a few years, and you sort of become addicted to that too. It's a lot easier not dealing with people sometimes than dealing with people. But once you understand that stress isn't the problem, as you train your body not to have the same chemical reaction, stress, a lot of the stresses that seem so stressful are just not a big deal. You just move through them. So they're just obstacles, you deal with them, they're problems. It's stressful, you know, just staying alive competing on this planet and stay alive is a stressful experience. And then we put other things on our plate that, that make a big difference. Anyway, I want to wrap this up by just going back to the beginning of the conversation. That anxiety is not a diagnosis. It's not a disease. It's simply this, the description of, this, of the sensation generated when your body's full of stress chemicals. Just like relaxed is a sensation generated when your body's full of relaxation play type chemicals. The essence of healing, so it turned out that the mental pain is a much bigger problem than the physical pain because the mental pain translates into body, it represents body chemistry that translates into physical symptoms. As you calm down the mental pain, the physical symptoms then disappear. You can't do it the other way around. The root cause of over 30 different physical symptoms and diseases is sustained levels of stress chemicals. Anxiety essentially is the pain, right? So if I put my hand on a warm stove, um, little anxiety, I pull it away. It's a protective mechanism, right? But there's something in my brain that said this is dangerous. So your pain fibers are being stimulated every second. It's just that when it hits a certain threshold that your brain says this is danger, then you have anxiety, then you take action to solve the problem. So pain is actually an output, not an input. Your brain has to interpret the sensations, decide this is painful or not painful. The essence of healing is connecting to your own body's capacity to heal, which allows you to learn the tools to regulate your body's chemistry. When you're anxious and upset, it is what it is. You don't, you don't want to suppress that because you learn to process it in a way that's not suppressing it. It starts to lose its power. And again, I have lots of stress in my life, never really stops. But my reaction to the stress is much different than it was 25 years ago when I was this angry, reactive young physician trying to save the world and upset about administration and politics and whatever. 
And when I get upset about things I can't control, it doesn't really help me. But I didn't realize what I was doing in my body's chemistry. I was developing over 30, 17 of these 30 different symptoms of chronic pain. And so now I get upset. I don't like it. In fact, I get really unhappy when I get upset because I know it's like to be peaceful. And the contrast is quite stark. But guess what? These triggers are permanent. They're not going away. And what I've learned to do is I process them much faster than I used to. And the fun part for me, for myself personally, but also for, for many of my patients, once you're not being pinned against the wall by relentless anxiety, creativity comes back. And life starts to expand to the level that they never had before they started having chronic pain. It's a remarkable experience watching people become creative, people get remarried, they find new relationships, they kick out partners, they get new jobs. I mean, it's really remarkable once you can escape the grips of relentless anxiety, how life starts to expand again. Well, David, I think these are these are tremendous insights that you know people and medical profession, as you say, have overlooked for many years that, that are a key to not only healing, healing your pain, but it sounds like bringing the creativity and play back into life that makes life worth living, you right. know, above and beyond just reducing or eliminating the pain. It's actually giving, giving meaning to life again. Right. You back to things that are important. Yeah, you know, just trying to survive anxiety makes life pretty tedious and pretty rough. But yeah, no, it's been exciting to watch. I mean, treating chronic pain has been my, by far the most rewarding part of my practice in a phase of my life I never expected. And of course, I had no hope. I didn't know what was going on. And I feel extremely fortunate to come out of my own ordeal. And I feel a lot of gratitude of, for, for, for being able to share this journey with many, many people. We have hundred people, hundreds of people going to pain-free Anxiety drops, pain drops, life starts to expand again. And so it's been an re incredibly rewarding process. And as you know, I get emails every week from people all over the country looking at the book, looking at the website. It's a very self-directed process. And the lives start to change dramatically. So it's been very, very exciting, rewarding, interesting for me personally. As you know, our team has worked hard on this. We've, and our whole team's watch has happened for a lot of years now. You know, it, 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 it's what keeps us going, right? Exactly. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, putting this on and getting this organized. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk on the next podcast that I do on my own. We'll talk about really the physical manifestations of these sustained levels of stress chemicals because the physical consequences are really pretty deep. And the other discussion I like to have even on another podcast is that we talk about these adverse childhood experiences, why they have such an effect on people's mortality and sense of well-being. But again, it's all about this neurochemical basis of pain about the linkage to the past, the, the worst, the linkage, et cetera. So those are other discussions we can have based around the root cause of problems still being these sustained levels of stress chemicals. Well, David, we'll look forward to it. And again, thank you for another a very insightful podcast. And I want to remind all of our listeners that you can find more information on the website at www.backincontrol.com. And remember to come back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanson. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.